The Dogs of War podcast is brought to you by Fansided. Party on, Raleigh, and party on, Kevin. Hey! Dogs of War! Dogs of War! Podcast! Cleveland Browns! It's the offseason. It's time to talk brown stuff with your excellent co-host, Raleigh. And with him, as always, is equally excellent co-host, Kevin. Browns confirmed, Raleigh. Browns confirmed Kevin. Dogs of War! And now we're recording. Um, so there's a question I wanted to ask you. You know what? When we, when we don't have a guest on, we got to reconvene and talk about our uh, moving, apartment hunting, and all of that. But welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. Today, if you are listening to this today, it comes out. It's Friday, May 28th. Happy Friday. This is Kevin along with my I don't, equally important, same, whatever you say, co-host, Raleigh. Thank you, Kevin, for hawking my line, but you nailed it. Thank you. And we also have a special guest with us here today, Mr. Pete Smith. Pete is the editor of Sports Illustrated's Browns Digest, host of For Pete's Sake podcast, and a member of the Football Writers Association of America, therefore about 4,000 times smarter than Raleigh and I. Pete, welcome to the Dogs War podcast, and thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem. How are you guys doing? Just living. It's, it's Off-season woes. Yeah, it is Friday. I'm off tomorrow. So... Uh, Pete, first thing that we like to do, we bring guests on is would love to hear about how you started down this trek of Brown's fandom. You know, were you born into it? And then also, you know, how did you get to, how'd you end up writing for Sports Illustrated covering the Browns primarily? Uh, being a fan, I, I wasn't really born into it. Honestly, my family is not really into sports. Uh, I mean, I liked the Browns when I was young, but, uh, it wasn't really until after the the move and when they came back that I got super into it. Uh, like basically, the idea of building a team from scratch was interesting to me. And then quickly after that, it became interesting to me that somebody could have that many draft assets and the ability to sign anyone and could be so bad at it. So <laughs> it's there still, was the, it's you came to the right podcast. Statistically impossible at the right. Like Rami Abdullah and the like it. But it's weird because, like, what you ended up with is you have a whole bunch of people who were sort of, like, who came into this born out of that. So you have a lot of people, like, yeah, like I, I don't know if this is specifically the path Dane Brugler took, but he's from Warren, Ohio, and he's relatively similar age. So it's just weird that you could, like, you could actually be in a situation where you could see a team have the ability – and you're, you know, you you get the expansion draft, and and your first move is signing Jim Pine, uh, as opposed to like the Houston Texans, where they got all these really nice players to start, or Carolina, and Jacksonville made the the relative conference championship show quickly, and the Browns were just so bad at it. Uh, as for writing, um, luck, I guess. No, I, like all I can say is like I. Am from an era that started on message boards and then oh, yeah. sort of pounded my pounded my head against the wall enough until I was able to sort of uh, parlay free writing into slightly paid writing into sticking with it long enough that uh, I got lucky enough to be asked basically asked if I wanted to 
do this thing for the Browns. Like it wasn't as if I picked, it was, we want you, you know, we want you to do this. So from that standpoint, I would say it's absolute luck. And then once I got in, you know, holding on like grim death that I don't get kicked out. So like, I, I wish I had some great answer, but uh, on like this great path, but honestly, it's basically just sweat and luck, which is you know, so much of anything. But it's not like I went to school with the – I have a degree in history and a master's in sports science and coaching. I did not come go into this thinking I was going to be a beat reporter or something. I, it, it, like uh, I, I pushed on this and in coaching uh, and basically was waiting till one of them sort of worked out. Uh, hoping that one worked out and I sort of managed to punch through on this one. Uh, and I'm hoping to keep it that way. Well, first of all, you're being very humble. Uh, sports Illustrated doesn't just hire bums to write for him. So obviously they respected the, the talent, the game they probably looked at. They're like, this guy's been watching this team since 99. He's seen some shit. So he's going to come on board now. Plus your writing skills. Number two, uh, history major. So that means you were probably writing a thousand papers all the time in college then. That part is true. That I actually I did do a, quite a bit of writing, uh, it, so that was actually somewhat beneficial. Uh, but it, but if I'm honest, like at the end of the day, when it came to college, I just wanted a piece of paper that said that said I graduated, and it was interesting enough. Like uh, like if you're asking for advice, do that. Find something you like doing, and then unless you're getting into a particular field, which requires, you know, like you know, you can't just go be an engineer. But uh, I'm an engineer major. Right. So like, you know, some of these things actually have real skills that you actually have to learn. But like for so many things, uh, just get get the degree in something else, get degree in whatever interests you and then just sort of make it work. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Back to I'm thinking about history. Do you ever I I don't know the last time I've written a history paper probably in college. Have you ever like used that type of structure, learning lessons from the past as you apply it to your Brown's writing? Or is um, that a ridiculous question? No, I mean, it, it, largely it's structure, but I, I tend to think of it that way. So I wrote a thing about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and, you know, I guess a, a – showing my age a little bit, it immediately took me back to Gerald Wilkins. So I wrote about a little about Gerald Wilkins because he was supposed to be the Jordan stopper. And that like the, the concept of, of, of seeing somebody refer to Lamar Jackson, to uh, JOK as the Lamar Jackson stopper just took me to a point in history where like that indelible image of <laughs> Gerald Wilkins was going to be this, this dude who was going to, was going to shut, you know, get the Cavs to the championship. And they got swept 4-0 by Jordan, who made the game-winning shot in Game 4 over Gerald Wilkins. Oh, man. I'm so – it reminds me just how happy I still am that the Cavs season's over with. Another thing, Raleigh, it wasn't a ridiculous question you asked him. The fact that you said – I can't remember the last time I wrote a history paper. That was ridiculous because I don't know anyone who just writes them for fun. But it was a good exercise, and we got something out of it. I have I to love Roman history, Kevin. <laughs> no, we know you do. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast interview to bring you some breaking news from our friends over at Manscaped. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. 
This is the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has launched the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer available in the U.S. and Canada. I have it. Raleigh has it. It's great. It's waterproof. But look, Manscaped doesn't just have razors. They have everything a guy would want. You got nose hair trimmers, all sorts of stuff. Check them out. And because of us, you're going to get 20% off and free shipping. Go to manscaped.com and her promo code FANSIDED20. 20% off and free shipping on anything on that website. That's manscaped.com with promo code FANSIDED20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Back we go. Pete, that was, we're, we're big on segues on this podcast. And like I told you before we hopped on, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, well, actually, all the things I want to talk about happen to be the things that you already were writing about all week. So the first thing I wanted to touch on, which you already brought up, is JOK. The article that you wrote, I think it was yesterday, on SI, you said, and I'm just going to paraphrase this, you said JOK might not start, but he's still going to be a huge piece of this defense. Yeah, he certainly can be. Uh, the way the Browns have sort of designed their defense, one, they have a lot of guys that are good, which, you know, this is nice uh, from that standpoint. So you can afford to sort of take somebody that doesn't really have a position, whereas in, in, in so many years past, if you did that, it was just sort of a waste of time because you needed guys to actually be in there and play. Uh, but the other part of this is just the way the defense is going. And I think I give a lot of credit to Joe Woods. I know he's taken sort of a lot of slings and arrows uh, for trying to duct tape together a defense from last year's town. <laughs> but he has a good idea of what the NFL is doing. So if you are trying to deal with a conference, uh, you know, obviously the division, it starts there. Lamar Jackson and now Joe Burrow, you have two guys who can move around and make plays with their legs as well as throw throw the ball. And then you're thinking, you know, you're looking at the playoff game last year and the playoffs in general last year. One, the Browns obviously just were slow against that Chiefs uh, offense, which most yep. teams are, but it was just noticeable. And then you watch the AFC Championship game in particular, and those teams didn't even pretend they were handing the ball off after a certain point. All they did was the quarterback got the ball, looked around the field, ran around a little bit, and if whatever wasn't open, they picked up yards with their legs. They got a first down. They just repeated the process. So the Browns' yeah. defense, everything their defense is doing is saying, we want to be able to better deal with quarterbacks who can be dual threats. So, like, it's not just JOK. Like, Tack McKinley is a huge piece in that aspect because he all he does is run fast. So, you know, if it's Josh Allen, if it's Patrick Mahomes, if it's Lamar Jackson, it doesn't matter. The entire conference, save for Ben Roethlisberger, can move at least a little bit. Uh, and then JOK just does a little bit of everything that's sort of beneficial in that. He can, he's fast. He can blitz. He can cover. And then the thing I, I really like him from watching him in Notre Dame is his ability to play to the, the, strong, the throwing arms side of the field in the flat, uh, which is super important. And then if – Quarterbacks are going to try to break the pocket from there. He can come up and at least close ground. Uh, so from those two standpoints, being able to blitz, being able to cover in a division where there isn't a ton in terms of just dominating run games other than the one he's going to see in practice, mm -hmm. it's a really smart idea to just go that route in addition to the fact that they have enough guys that if, if somebody wants to be like the Tennessee Titans – 
and just pound the ball over and over again, they can take him off the field and put heavier guys in there. So, like, again, I think my I, – I didn't think JOK was going to end up going in the first round. Yeah. I did not think he was going to go as late as he did. But my concern with him wasn't from a talent standpoint. Is I thought there were a lot of teams that were going to look at this guy and go, I have no idea what to do with him. And I think Joe Woods was one of the few that really stood out and made sense that he knows exactly what to do with this type of player. So he could be an impact guy and never really be a starter. And that's sort of uh, representative of what the defense is going to be. It's going to be able to mold to what any defense, what any offense is going to throw at you. You play the Pittsburgh Steelers one week who get rid of the ball in two seconds. They can cover real well. If they play a team like the Titans or the Ravens that want to pound the ball, they can deal with that. So that's sort of why I think JOK is a really good idea and may not be a starter. Could he um, – his his coverage is his most, uh, his most well-developed skill, correct? I would – yes. However, I wouldn't recommend putting him in man coverage against wide receivers. So – you could see him, you know, Troy Hill is, that's what Troy Hill is here to do. Troy Hill is here to cover receivers. But let's say the Browns play against a team like the Baltimore Ravens who wants to use tight ends in the slot or something like that, or just use tight ends a lot more. They've got a guy like Mark Andrews. Then you can put JOK out there and just cover him. In addition to the safeties they have, that's a really good skill set. If you're just talking about zone, he's fantastic. And he can be sort of a second-level zone player who can also hawk blitz, you know, blitz after the quarterback when they try to roll out since you don't have to cover as much of the field. So in that standpoint, yes, he's really, really good. When they drafted him, he was getting interviewed or his first press call, whatever it was. He said that what he liked the most is as soon as he got on the phone with the coaches, they weren't just telling him about the scheme and what they like to run. They were telling him that night they drafted him where and how they're going to use him. Not the system as a whole. Like Woods was breaking it down. Like this is how I envision using you in this defense, and he really took to that and said, "This is where this is exactly where I'm supposed to be." Right. Like, and, and you know, Joe Woods. Uh, if you saw building the Browns this past week, yep. Like he could. Great, great. Sorry to interrupt you. I was telling Raleigh. I think that's such a well done product. I mean, even if you're not just Browns fandom aside, I think that's one of the best things. It's just any NFL team does. But sorry, continue. Well, it's certainly better than the long-deceased road tripping. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, one, one that they do a great job of that show. But that particular episode, they packed a ton into it. But they showed Joe Woods quite a bit. Yeah. And he, like, couldn't control himself. He, he just couldn't stop smiling and sort of drooling over all these guys he had. And that didn't even include the veterans uh, that he that they, they've added that he hasn't really even gotten to see yet. So, yeah, I, I think – Again, I think this is a product of him sort of getting it. I think it's a product of understanding what they like about players. They drafted a bunch of really smart guys. JOK is a really impressive person uh, before being a great football player. Uh, So I think all of those things make for a really good fit. Uh, And and that's what I think this front office has done really well since they've taken over, is they're really good at identifying what, what is a good fit for them and what is a good fit for the players they're taking? And they own it. They wear it. You could see that they said when they drafted him, Joe Woods stood up in his office and started got on the whiteboard right away. Like they had even like barely finished reading JOK's name and he was already drawing up plays for him, which I think is great. One thing you brought up, we've been talking about Joe Woods a lot, obviously. Do you think 
I, I don't want to use the term hot seat because he's not on the hot seat. But when you have a roster like he has, when you have the talent like we have right now on paper on this defense, we have a window that's open now to compete and potentially go deep in these playoffs here. What kind of leash, if I, don't, I hate to use the word leash too, he's a good coach, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. But when you have this roster, what kind of pressure and expectations are on him to perform with this defense this year? Is it a one year and if it doesn't work, buy? Or how, what do you think that that looks like? Well, I, I, like you said, I, I would, I wouldn't say it's a leash. I wouldn't say he's on a hot seat. But look, the Browns have expectations, and their offense proved they were good last year. Even though there's still question marks, even though there's still things we want to see from that side of the ball to improve. The entire off season was Joe Woods. We're going to get you a whole bunch of pieces. The guys you wanted, the guys you asked for, exactly in the sort of setup you want. Now it's time to deliver on on that that, that we are investing in you. So at the same point where you're saying it, it, it where it is absolutely pressure on him, that's also a reason I don't think it's necessarily a leash or a hot seat. Because granted, I think the Browns would be smart enough that if for whatever reason they lose him, like let's say he's great, they win the Super Bowl and somebody you know tries to interview him for a head coaching job. In the same way that if they if he was to go elsewhere for the right reasons, if they were ultimately in a position they have to get rid of him, the same thing comes up, which is they know what they want in people, in those coaches, in in, in who they need, and the intellectual curiosity to be able to sort of adapt and, and do those things that they've really sort of narrowed down the field for the right reasons uh, to what they want in a coach. But there's no question that Joe Woods, out of – you know, if you were to come up with like the five people in the Browns organization with the most pressure on themselves to, to deliver this year, he's if he's not number one, he's right right there. What it's a absolutely, yeah, he's absolutely. It, it, it's it's the pressure, but it's the pressure he wants. This is you know, this is what you want. You yeah. want to have the pressure to be good because you have guys. You don't want pressure because you're expected to deliver a great defense, and Robert Jackson is your starting corner in a playoff game. Okay, if you think about it, any <laughs> any DC. Offense coordinator, head coach. I mean, they can get candid any year. You know, it's uh, regardless of their talent. If somebody's underperforming and they trace that, and it's on you, you're gone. No, I agree with you 100. I was just thinking about of all the different variables that come into play. Cleveland hasn't had a roster like this maybe ever on paper. You know, there's a lot of intentional upgrades to certain positions were made. But I agree with you on that. But I was just wondering, you know, what kind of added pressure just put on him. And Woods is not – Woods is a smart dude. We know he's not ignorant to any of this. He understands that. Like you just said, Pete, you know, he's he understands the pressures on him. I guess uh, my next question for that then uh, with Joe Woods, with his defense, um, there's a lot of position rooms right now that are so crowded. And obviously every team has that right now, right? We're off season. They have 90 people on the roster, eight, whatever it is. But specifically the Browns, there's been a lot of attention on that linebacker room, most notably on Browns Twitter, which has been a cesspool lately, if you ask me. The linebackers we're going to get rid of or who aren't going to make it. I've been changing my mind on this one every single day. I think – you know, obviously he didn't have a great season last year. We're big Mac Wilson fans. I just, I think he's just a funny dude. You know, he didn't have a great year. So obviously the numbers right there, you know, ball don't lie. Um, people can use that and that's pretty black and white. Didn't perform, ain't making the team. I, I, I wonder though, 
is it because he's so open and posts so much on Twitter and Instagram that numbers aside, is that why he's such an easy target for people on Twitter? No. Uh, I, I think in that respect, if he was great, he would be greater. There are players on this team okay. that really embrace uh, social media and do it really well. He's a, he's a good example. Like Whatever you want to say about him, he understands – that element of it. And that's why he was instantly popular early on. Like he was a hype guy. He was, you know, for sure. He, he brought a lot of energy and sort of gave you that little piece that fans absolutely are drawn to. The problem is, you know, he wasn't good at Alabama. Uh, he wasn't good as a rookie and he didn't get better as a sophomore. And the Browns um, have sort of, upgraded the position in certain respects. I think he's going to have a really difficult time making this team uh, in part because JOK, and that's really a question of how they sort of slot him and how they really think of him. I know they keep saying he's a weak side linebacker or whatever. I don't know what that really means in terms of their. their Some people are calling him a safety. Yeah. I mean, I (laughs) I think he's, he's a, he's going to be, the answer is, is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? The answer is yes. Um, it's just a question of what they want to do with him. But, like, Jacob Phillips, you know, injuries limited him last year, but he knows what he's looking at, and he's really athletic, and he's really smart. I think he's going to be a guy that, like, he's the guy I expect is going to end up starting at, at that position. A lot uh, of people are saying they expect him to make a jump this year. I mean, I'm really intrigued by him. He's one of the, the most people I'm most looking forward to seeing. Right. So, yeah, like he's a guy that you go back to his LSU tape, he's 21, really impressive just how well he sees the game and processes. And even in training camp, he was arguably the best processor uh, of guys who could see what was happening and going on. And that was really impressive because he was 21 coming out. So the problem with Mac Wilson isn't physical. It's not, you know, a lack of you know, physical ability. It's he just doesn't process very quickly, and he's often out of position. And then, over the course of the year, he just was a nightmare tackler. I, like it, it's hard for me to get the image out of out of my head where he was literally on a guy's back, and the guy shrugged him off and kept running. So, look, the Brats have a bunch of young guys. Uh, yep. You know, there there are going to be players that it's going to be a battle to the end. Do I feel good about his chances to make this team? I do not. I, I think he's one of the guys I expect will not make it. But that's also partly because, the, again, the Browns are good. Dontrell Hilliard was cut at the end of last year. Dontrell Hilliard is an NFL football player, uh, and the Browns are good enough where they're going to cut NFL football players who go yeah. elsewhere. And start, they, yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, they're called the Houston Texans, or the as I, I refer to them, the Atlanta Hawks of the NFL, where <laughs> – you know, if you ever you, you're ever watching a Houston Texans game this year, and you look up and go, "Oh, he's there." That's you know, that's the reaction you have to any Hawks game. Uh, so, yeah, I, it's going to be tough for him. I think it, uh, Jacob Phillips is going to be a, a really nice player. The guy I think is going to be sort of the most difficult cut, and a lot of this is going to be dependent on uh, how quickly guys progress, particularly JOK, and if, if Phillips is healthy, is going to be. Uh, Malcolm Smith, I, I think he's going to be the guy they hold on to the longest in that room. He was good for them last year. Uh, and if they can get to a point where they're confident enough they can release him, I think that will be the most difficult cut. So I don't think Mac Wilson is going to make it to the – again, I, I'm, I hope he, he proves me wrong and he can tell yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, but 
I don't think he's going to make it to like the final cut down. I think he's going to get cut before that. I want to get your your take on something. We we you said this earlier. You know, they said when it comes to coaches and Joe Woods, the Browns know who they're looking for. They know the character they want. Which, first of all, we should just stop for a second and reflect on how beautiful that is that we finally have a grown up, mature organization coming off of that. And you know, and you see it. They say it every day. Stefanski. A, B, they talk about the character, they talk about work, all this stuff. So I'm curious on your take, why did we sign Malik McDowell, defensive tackle? He hasn't played in, what, a few years? He spent 11 months in prison. Is it because they see some freak possible prodigy athleticism in him that you just can't pass on? Are they trying to make, you know, uh, I I don't know, there's a lot of people in the NFL in any sports league who are anywhere who have records. It's not, it's not the, the prison thing. I don't care about that, but he hasn't played in a while. And on top of that, I guess, what's your take on all that? Uh, so yeah, Malik, Malik McDowell has had his share of real issues and, and, and we're, we still don't know everything that went down with that ATV accident and just exactly what happened. Um, people who are around him, some of them have described that he's just a totally different person ever since that happened. Like, and not just like he's changed in the some way, you know, people evolve. Like he's a literally a different person that they don't know. Um, that maybe something happened that, that changed things for him in that respect. From the Brown standpoint, he's big, he's strong, and he's, he's got some physical ability. Um, they, it's a no risk maneuver for them. Uh, if he's good. However, I don't think it's realistic that he has any chance of making the final 53 or 55. I do think the best case scenario for Malik McDowell is he proves he can be reliable to make it through this, that, that whatever he has gone through, and obviously prison is a part of that, that he has become a more functional uh, adult. And then if somebody else grabs him, great. Like, that would honestly probably be successful for the Browns. Yeah. But if they don't, they can put him on the practice squad. Yeah. And if he makes it through a whole year on the practice squad, that would be a success for him regardless of anything else that happens. So I, great point. I, I don't think it's like some revelation that they're going, we are a Malik McDowell away from <laughs> Super Bowl. No, I absolutely, think, absolutely. I, I hope we think, all eat our words and he just balls out. Yeah, we hope he <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, if you, 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 you saw him on the, you know, sort of those minicamp things, he's physically enormous. He is a giant. Uh, so, yeah, if, if he gets to, to the practice squad and he just sticks there for a year, I th- you know, the thing that like sort of gets forgotten is like, what prison actually involves. It's not like he goes there and gets great nutrition and has a personal trainer. Like there is some carryover effect that sort of, he's probably got to get his body back in some respects. So I think the practice squad would be a great result. If he can do that in another year, whether it's in, in Cleveland or elsewhere, if he can sort of recapture that and find a way to sort of try to make a career out of it, that would be a great result for everybody. If it's with the Browns, great. But I, I think that's all there is to it. I'm rooting for him. I just, let's make that clear. I By no means am I talking down on this kid. I was just, when you look at all the things that they've come out and have been establishing, this new foundation, this new franchise, essentially, and then they bring him in kind of out of the blue, I was just very fascinated by that. Well, I, I was thinking along the lines of, uh, I mean, yeah, it is a low-risk, whatever-reward scenario for him, but... 
which position group on the defensive side of the ball would you say the Browns are strongest where they have uh, weaknesses? I mean, last year everyone would agree our greatest role shooting tie between linebacker and safety last year uh, as far as weakest positions. But now is it our D-line just from a depth depth standpoint, or do you think we have the depth we need? I don't know. You're the writer. Um, there's only there's only 15 DTs on the roster right now, so we got to have something in there. Yeah, the defensive line is interesting. I wouldn't. I, I you might argue that edge is the strongest, uh, but I wouldn't say defensive tackle, and that's in large part because you have two guys you can count on, and you know what they do, and that's Malik McDowell and Andrew Billings. And Andrew Billings didn't play last year. Uh, I, I, you know, that was a huge signing at the time. Uh, it was a, you know, a disappointment, not because he, he prioritized his health, a disappointment from the possibility of what he could have done. Uh, as a nose, he would have been a huge benefit to Larry Ogunjobi, who was then put right back in the position of being that every down nose. It's just not what he is. Uh, but after those, those two guys, you have uh, Jordan Elliott, who I do think will have a better year. Uh, coming into year two, you have Tommy Togia, who's a rookie, and you have yeah. uh, Marvin Wilson, who's a rookie. And I like both of them. I think Tommy Togia has a chance to be the best player the Browns drafted this year, and they got a lot of good players. So, But that's a position that could take three years. So if Andrew Billings were to get hurt, if Malik Jackson were to get hurt, even for like a couple weeks, that's a, that's a spot that gets a lot of stress quickly. The strongest position on the team right now might be safety. Yeah, uh, and I say that because I don't exactly know what to expect from safety. I I can largely sort of get a good guess on what what corner is going to look like. I can get a you know most everything else, but safety. Ronnie Harrison was a huge get last year, and the first snap of the season this year, he may not be on the field just by virtue of the fact that if they play two safeties on the field, one of them is going to be John Johnson, and the other one could theoretically be Grant Delpit. So you potentially have a situation where you know where where he is not on the field, and he was not just like a small addition; he was an impact player for a bad defense last year. Now, you know what what's that going to look like? Is Woods going to how quickly is Woods going to sort of employ this three safety look? I mean, he's talked about it in terms of dime, but how close are we to a point where you know he he aspires to run base dime, which I love the idea of that. How quickly are we going to get there? How quickly is he going to be willing to take a, a second linebacker off the field and just go roll with one all the time to get those dudes on the field? Or is it going to be a week-to-week thing? But that's where they have a lot of strength. Uh, you know, their depth behind those three guys. I have some question marks, but just, just in general, John Johnson is a phenomenal player. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a guy who has no Pro Bowls, he's one of the best players on the Browns. Uh, and then... I'm excited about Grant Delpit, even though I'm sort of cautiously optimistic because I just don't know what to expect coming off that injury. And then Ronnie Harrison's sort of like, oh, by the way, and he was genuinely great for the uh, for the Browns last year. See, and you said something that I was saying on this podcast a few weeks ago with regards to Grant Delpit, Greedy Williams, even the guys that sat out for COVID. Look, they, they all had to sit out, you know, for better or worse. I feel like too many people are just expecting and assuming them to come back as pro bowlers. I'm not saying they won't be. We obviously want them to be. Duh. Grant Delpit's never taken an NFL snap. 
some other guys set out for a year. Greedy was hurt all last year. And I feel like every – and, again, I don't pretend to be a football savant or even very football intelligent. That's why we have you on today, Pete, to help you know balance the IQ out here. One has ever played in the NFL. Some of them have set out for a year or longer. Are we putting too much you know, high expectations or just assuming too much of these guys? Uh, I think that's more of just a general level of excitement and anticipation more than anything. Like I expect Andrew Billings to be good. If honestly, it may have been good for him to sit out a year just playing that position for his yeah. health and everything else. It's just a, it's a wear and tear thing. I guess I'm more focused on Delpit. I think. But yeah, over yeah. Anything. You know, I'm I'm with you with with Delpit. I, it's I, I I genuinely don't know what to expect. I know he said yesterday. He expects to be 100% for training camp. Is yeah. that 100% actually 100% or is that 100% of what he can get back to this year? I, like, I, I, and yeah. it's not to say I don't, you know, I, I doubt the kid or anything. I just don't know if he knows. Exactly. Like, that, and that's what I'm saying, 100%. A few years ago, we drafted the Bolitsnikov. Am I saying that right? Winner. Remember that guy? He couldn't catch a ball in the NFL. And then asked on – what the hell is that show? He told Hugh to trade him or asked him to trade him. Delpit won was the line safety of the the year in college that year. That's what I'm saying. Coleman. Yeah, he went for Corey Coleman and then Jim, the Jim Thorpe Award. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, the Browns have back to back Thorpe Award winners in their, their <laughs> second year. True, <laughs> but you know, what I'm saying like you know, we drafted Corey Coleman. Everyone's like, oh man, he was the best receiver in the country, and then he couldn't catch a ball in the NFL. I'm not saying I not saying that translates to safety or Grant Delpit or anything, but that's my hesitation there. And because you guys still have that Browns curse syndrome, even though it's a new franchise and new everything. Speaking of which, great segue. I know uh, we've got to let you get back to your to your real life as soon here, Pete. But I wanted to ask you. Speaking of the the Browns curse, we still talk about day one of OTAs this week. Someone tested positive, and they sent everyone home to go get virtual, what <laughs> we'll never fully get away from it. You know, it doesn't really matter in May, but I just laughed so hard when I saw that headline. It's, it's tough from a few, from a few uh, angles. It's tough because on the same day, there, the, the Browns had a, a player test positive. You know, the NFL is talking about, every, you know, all in on fans in the stands, you know, the, all these different things that, you know, about sort of moving on life after after COVID-19 and you're immediately sort of, it's a punch to the face to sort of be right back into it. And you just don't know. Like, we'd like to say that, you know, by July where, you know, the Browns have already announced, it may have been the same day, that they're going to have training camp open to fans. Like, it's tough to, to sort of toe that line and say, we're super worried about players and all this stuff. And it's not to say that like fans, you know, behind roped off from the, 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 the practice field, are going to give somebody COVID, but it's just, it's a weird optics thing that you were saying we're, we're, we're back, you know, let's, let's do this fans, all of it, the full experience, by the way, we're still, you know, we, we still have guys getting shut down for this. And, and it does also raises questions about should Teams have OTAs, like, and you're having this 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 discussion as J.C. Treader, the president of the NFLPA, is questioning yep. the whole offseason structure and what should happen and what shouldn't happen. So 
it's a lot of balls to juggle and it's sort of a difficult conversation because you can absolutely sort of be looking at, you know, national numbers and local numbers and be like, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we're at a point and this isn't political. It's just sort of where we're at, where we can get, we can get closer to being back to normal that we can enjoy things like this. And, and obviously the Browns for their part are sitting there with this sort of, sort of bittersweet taste in their mouth that they, that everything about last season was great, but you always get this little thing from players, from coaches, from the ownership and all this. Yeah. It was great to, you know, get to the playoffs. It was great to win a playoff game in Pittsburgh. It was great to do all these things, but we wish we had fans in the stands or, you know, players in particular, but we want that energy that we're going to get that, you know, we can't wait until, you know, week one and week two are going to be nuts, like just around the NFL because you have, you know, the Browns start in Kansas City, which is a, a, a notoriously difficult place to play anyway. And then the yep. Browns come back and host the Houston Texans, and it's going to be nuts from that standpoint that they're now going to have this home field uh, with all these people. Yeah, and pray, like for the the Texans. pray for the yeah, Texans. Like, hey, pray for the Browns. Pray for the Browns. Pray for the Browns. You could literally see, uh, you know, the JV Browns uh, get sort of, you know, just cheered off the field. Like if, you know, if, they, if that game opens up and like the Browns get a, you know, a turnover and a touchdown or, you know, two quick scores, like the Texans are never going to hear themselves think again. And they just make it, it it's going to be like a collegiate atmosphere in that standpoint where it's going to be like yep. going to the horseshoe or something like that. So, yeah, it's a really difficult uh, situation. I think the NFL in some ways is kind of hoping that it'll, they don't say anything. It'll kind of go away on its own. But yeah. if we keep running into this, you know, it wasn't just the Browns with this. I mean, Penny Sewell missed minicamp because he had tested positive. Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Bears, missed minicamp because he was uh, exposed to somebody who's positive. It's probably good for Justin Fields, though. Could be. Yeah, I, I'm not a. I'm not a big. I don't have a lot of faith in that setup either. Um, that. What is what does this all mean for the Browns in preparation, and you know what what what's sort of the best path forward? And you know the other part of this is where are players in in terms of their vaccinations? It's none of our business. It's obviously their health and their their pri- their privacy that they get to have. But it's you know it's hard to ignore the fact that Kevin Stefanski, although not representing himself as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, in it is doing a P- PSA for people getting vaccinated. So you have all these things that are going on at the same time, and it's really difficult to be like, this is the answer, this is what should be happening, because we just don't know. One more question that I'll let, we'll let you get back to your, your real life here, Pete. I know you wrote, you wrote on this a little bit. I hate to even acknowledge or recognize this, but it's just been too loud and too much lately. <laughs> and I'm laughing at it because just the gall of Browns fans thinking that we have the right to even suggest some of the, the trades and things they've been doing. Where are you? Where are we at with this Julio Jones nonsense? Are you even acknowledging it or even listening to anything about it? Yeah, I wrote about it as a, as something that the Browns considered. And it really came out of the idea that, like, I, I saw some of the teams that were put forward. They don't have the cap space to do it. Like, they, they keep the Baltimore yeah. Ravens keep getting put out there as an example. Oh, they, they should go get Julio Jones. They don't have enough money right now. They just signed Sammy Watkins, who's getting $3.75 million guaranteed if they cut him tomorrow uh, on a $5 million contract. And it was basically, look, 
the Browns can afford Julio Jones right now, and they don't have to do anything. They have that much cap space because they 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 account for themselves that well. They could continue to keep that rollover open by moving somebody. You know, obviously, my advocacy on that front is not secret. I would move on from Jarvis Landry in that situation. Uh, and I don't think the Falcons are going to take him. I think it would be a separate move, either cutting him or trading him. I'm looking at John Dorsey at the Lions and saying, here, you can have your guy back. Uh, the Browns are good. Like, there's just no getting away from this. The Browns can compete for the Super Bowl. So if you're saying the Browns are good and they can compete, and if the Falcons are willing to take, like, a second-round pick and change or something along those lines, not a first-round pick, you can afford it. He's great. Like, he's 32 years old. No denying that, yeah. Yeah, he had 85.7 yards per game last year, and he played nine games. If he did that over a 16-game period for the Browns, it would be the best receiver season they've had since Josh Gordon in 2013. That's how good he is. I also think he's a fantastic fit for this offense in spacing and helping out those tight ends, and I think he'd be great for uh, Odell Beckham on the other side. And That's there's a free this show. Part- yeah, That's there's, a free there's show. just this part of me where you're going – the Browns are good enough to do this. Like, what is the argument, really the argument against? You, you, you're worried that you're going to win the Super Bowl by too many points? Like, that's <laughs> more, like you, at some point you have to look at this and go, he, you know, I don't care that he's 32 or he had a bunion issue that caused him to miss some games last year. Like, he is legitimately an outstanding football player and would make us better instantly. Like, whether you want to believe in them or not, Pro Football Focus says he's a top five receiver. The Browns have Jarvis Landry and Beckham, who they have is, I think, 18 and 21. Like, if you were to move on from Landry, that's a 16-spot move up getting uh, Baker Mayfield, who took such a big leap forward in those last 12 games, including the playoffs last year, that you have this opportunity to get this guy that – uh, you know, I'm not saying they have to do this or that they fail if they do this, but one, it's something they should at least consider. And I look at a lot of these rumors and I, I look through the lens that they're basically two months old. For example, this idea that, uh, who was it? The, the, the Colts had inquired about Julio Jones. You find out it was before the draft and Julio Jones requested to trade before the draft. Mm-hmm. That's two months old. So is it possible that, you know, in the here and now that the Browns are at least considering it? Sure. What I worry about is that let's say Julio Jones gets moved to a team that the Browns have to face, uh, you know, whether it's the Colts or somebody along those lines, the Packers, who the Browns have to play this year, yep. whatever, that if they get some, like, middling package that, like, it's a second and a fifth or whatever it is, like something that's just like, are, are we going to come back and go, why on earth did the Browns not do this when it was sitting there? We, you know, and if the Browns don't, go as far as they could or they have a disappointing season Julio Jones is great somewhere else are we going to come back and go that's one of the all-time what-ifs like it takes me back to when you know this was never like a trade consideration but way back when the Indians were at the peak uh in the 90s and there was this I think it was Sports Illustrated you know like uh you know Seattle Mariners trade Ken Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson to the to Cleveland Indians rest of AL folds or something like that like that's where it feels like Julio Jones could have that similar effect. Like to me, like everybody's chasing the chiefs, which I get, 
But if the Browns have Julio Jones and Odell Beckham and Jarvis, or, I'm sorry, and Austin Hooper and David Njoku and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the best, arguably the best line in the in the game, shout out Higgins. Yeah, and Richard Higgins, who to me is better for that Landry role. But uh, if you have all these things, are you not the best team in the or the best offense in the league? And you have all these things you're worried about on defense, where you really don't need that defense to be great until maybe like week ten and beyond. Like you can sort of sort of grow that thing in there. Like that's where you sort of come, where where I think you at least have to think about it. Where so many people are like, no, we can't do that. The second round, that's that's fine. I'm talking about the people that were going viral saying we got to trade Jarvis or trade Odell right now for him. That was just absurd. That's what I was inferring. But yes, Raleigh and Pete, you guys have places to be. I do not, which is great. Mr. P. Smith, thank you, sir, again for coming right, on. My He's, wife is glaring at me. You can go. I'm going to sign off with, with Pete here. Editor of Sports Illustrated's Browns Digest, host of For Pete's Sake podcast. You can catch it on all platforms. We will have all his contact info, his Twitter handle, in the episode description. Pete, thank you again, sir. We appreciate it very much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Raleigh. Pete, you're the man. I really appreciate it. You got it. We'll see you guys. Good night, Cleveland. In America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. 
American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.